I'm John DiLibretto, and you're hearing the Echoes Podcast. Today, it's a double flashback 50. I've got two albums from June of 1969 that could not be more different. From London, it's White Noise with their debut in Electric Storm, and from San Francisco, we'll hear It's a Beautiful Day. I've got White Noise's David Vorhouse and commentary from Jack Danger's Meet Beat Manifesto. Then we'll explore the more pastoral, psychedelic, sounds of the debut album by It's a Beautiful Day, who spawned FM radio hits like White Bird and Hot Summer Day. If you like the interviews you hear in the Echoes podcast, then you'll love the Echoes radio show. Ten hours weekly of new ambient electronic dream pop world fusion and other chilled at the edges music. You can hear it on demand with a subscription to Echoes Online and dial up each two-hour show whenever you want, wherever you are, with your cell phone and the free Echoes app. Go to echoes.org and find out more about Echoes Online and download the Echoes app from your favorite app store. Just look for Echoes Radio. Be sure to try out our $2.99 trial membership gives you a week of full access to Echoes Online. And now get ready for a double flashback 50 with It's a Beautiful Day and White Noise. Back in June of 1969, a curious artifact was released called An Electric Storm by White Noise. It was an electronic journey into the darker side of psychedelia. One of the principal guides was David Vorhouse. When I worked at WXPN in Philadelphia in the early mid-70s, this album was a classic at the station. But even though it got reissued in 1971 in the U.S., it remained very much an underground recording. But it would go on to influence people like Meat Beat Manifesto, The Orb, and many others. In a flashback 50, we enter an electric storm with the David Warhouse and White Noise. I talked to David Warhouse back in 1989 in London. His home back then looked like a hippie crash pad from the 1960s. His Kaleidophon recording studio had styrofoam bubbles painted silver onto the ceiling and tin foil for wallpaper. It was as if he had never found his way out of a particularly bad acid trip. views, something to sadly lacking here. Here you see the nothing but the Camden disposal, the refuge disposal department out of the window, which is rarely open. That's David Warhouse, but within the retro decor resided some high-tech equipment that Warhouse used to insinuate his twisted visions into the innocence of television commercials. St. Ivor Gold is unique. It contains half the fat of any margarine. Yet it's made in a dairy with vegetable oil and real buttermilk for a buttery taste. At the time of this interview, it had been 20 years since David Vorhouse masterminded an electric storm with some of his co-workers in the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. These included the legendary Delia Derbyshire as well as Brian Hodgson. (laughs) 
primitive approach, especially Derbyshire's work on the Doctor Who TV series, is in the DNA of all British electronic music. She started me in electronic music. Was meeting her and uh, Brian Hodgson, who runs the BBC Radiophonic Workshops, started this whole thing happening. An electric storm by White Noise began as an experimental side project. Go back to say, 69 years. That that all started with um, we. Uh, did a couple of tracks in the middle of the night at the BBC kind of thing just for fun really they, Brian and Delia stuck me in there and uh, my best friend sung the song I, I wrote and just took it to a couple of record companies and uh, Decker wanted to release it immediately and Chris Blackwell, Island Records said you've got to do a, an album and I kept saying no we, we've got to do a single because I thought we've got to make a lot of money to get a studio we didn't have a, a place then there's no way we could have got away with doing a, an album at the BBC Chris Blackwell kept saying this isn't singles material and of course he was absolutely right it couldn't have been further than singles material and I kept raving on about no you've got to let us do a single and make a hit single and we'll do an album finally he said look how, how much do you make out of a, an average hit we worked it out, it was about £3,000, we're talking 20 years ago now. So he writes out a cheque, £3,000, says, right, here, you've had your hit single, now I'll need an album. And that was an offer we couldn't refuse. From those beginnings, Vorhaus and company moved to his studio apartment, called a bedsit in England, to create an album that blew apart the walls and blew minds. White Noises and Electric Storm has come to influence generations long after its initial release. Among them is Jack Dangers of the electronic act Beat Beat Manifesto. Burning with ecstasy. Yeah, I uh, came to this one uh, sort of pretty late. Um, I first heard it in 1993, uh, courtesy of Kevin Key from Skinny Puppy. He came over to my house and said, you got to listen to this, and uh, put the first track on, Love Without Sound. And uh, to me, the vocal on it immediately reminded me of um, Genesis Peorich from Throbbing Gristle had that same sort of quality to it. Ever since then, it's been a firm favourite of mine. White Noises and Electric Storm mixes whimsical 60s British psychedelic pop with dark surrealistic tracks. In 1969, it was definitely part of the times. Yeah, it was very much the psychedelic times in those days. I mean, that was kind of what youth was all about, discovering uh, altered states of mind and... uh, something other than what um, had been the, the, the music scene before that, which was pretty bland. In fact, I really never liked pop music at all before that. I listened to classical music. It was only my best friend that got me to sit down and listen to the Beatles and things that uh, alerted me to the fact that something was at last happening in, in the pop music field. Let me take you down
Despite writing lyrics to Your Hidden Dreams, a hymn to hallucinogens, Warhouse denies he was under the influence. Believe it or not, I, didn't, I hadn't taken acid until I actually finished that thing. Jack Dangers of Meat Beat Manifesto believes that might be true and that the inspiration came from the times themselves. Well, they were probably influenced to maybe copying some of the other things which were around at that time, like 50-foot hoes. I don't know if you know... They are, yeah. That they that sounds very similar to me, and um, along with uh, uh, silver apples and elephants' memory. I think they were just experimenting with, you know, what other people were who were experimenting with drugs were doing, like uh, Pink Floyd and the Beatles. They definitely they were they were experimenting, and I think that was influencing them. They were living precariously through through other bands, I think. Album swirled with electronic textures, but according to Vorhaus, most of the electronics were tape manipulations or thefts from other synthesizer recordings. Jack Dangers. Yeah, some of them. JJ Perry. I, I heard some JJ Perry on there. They, they, they went, yeah, they, they would uh, sample, nick a little piece here and there. And it's interesting because it's a complete reversal of what's happening now. People are nicking bits of orchestral sounds and things and on samplers and calling them synthesized. I was actually nicking bits out of early synthesizer albums on tape and cutting up the bits of tape and editing these together and yeah you can alter the lengths and the pitches of the things but they were all nicked from other records. Um, there's, there's one famous bit that Kenny Everett must have played 20 million times on Here Come the Fleas sort of And it was all electronic sounds just cut together from early Moe albums. They also include a lot of sound effects from the BBC library, including barking dogs, screaming cats, trucks, and cartoon effects. Jack Dangers. What they're using a lot of is the sound effects on some of the early radiophonic workshop stuff. They used to use um, rulers, like that, you know, you get a ruler and put it on the end of a table and sort of... Um, twang it and then move the ruler so it goes up in pitch. They, they use that on a couple of things. 
All these effects would collide on songs like Here Come the Fleas, which is something of an origin story for White Noise. It began when his father caught him using the house as a base for computer-assisted gambling. And Dad came down in the middle of the night once when there was about 4,000 pounds on the table or something and just said, either you pack this thing or get out. So we just walked down a word with said, everybody put their coats on and left. And so I got a bed sit, and it was there that this whole thing started. And uh, two people died within the first week of our making sounds there. Uh, the guy underneath and the guy next door. And we were making some very weird sounds. And I think it was just bad luck. One of them had cancer and the other was old enough to go anyway. But it really didn't look good. And we got you know, a very heavy letter from the police saying, get out within 48 hours or else. But this bedsit really was inspiration for something like the fleas. It was a very crummy joint. <laughs> It was the second side of an electric storm that created its reputation as a quintessential trip album, albeit a very ominous one. They had two tracks, and the first was The Visitation. Jack Dangers hears the influence of Delia Derbyshire on this one. It sounds very similar to me to a theme from a TV program which Delia Derbyshire did called The Tomorrow People. if you play that you'll hear the same sort of um, refrain in it so that goes to show you how heavy how heavy she you know her influence was on that record david warhouse along with john wren mcdonald take this into deep psychedelic and some might say psychotic terrain After the visitation came, Black Mass, an electric storm in hell. It is the definition of a freakout. Yeah, um, yes, that was the dark side. But the origins were a little more banal. We got three quarters of the way through the album, i.e. we'd done side one and the visitation, which is half of side two, and we got a letter from Ireland with no forewarning of us or anything, just a letter saying, if we don't receive the master tapes within 48 hours, our solicitors will be uh, recovering the, uh, the advance or something. Uh, so we thought, you know, they, they didn't even tell us they were in a hurry or anything, and now they are. So I said, right, we'll give it to them within 48 hours. We'll, we'll do it tonight. And we got Paul Litton, a very good drummer, and various singers, and, and all of us. In fact, everybody got together. Um, and did that in one night, just set up this loop, drum loop that Paul played and then he, he drummed to that and, and uh, we had orgies of screams and torture and things was going on here and people were hooked up to the walls with electrodes and I mean all sorts of horrendous things were happening. We were just recording it all and stuck it together in literally that night. 
Well, we had some pretty uh, nasty torture devices to get some pretty nasty sounds. We found people could actually scream more awesomely if, if they had a little bit of electrical help. Twenty years later, and I'm still sure today, David Vorhaus has a more jaundiced view of the track, which had a lot of the then very new VCS3 synthesizer on it. I'd only listen to that with embarrassment now. Not altogether, because I can divorce the music from the sounds, but the sounds sound early synthesizer, and so the sounds are very dated. White Noises, and Electric Storm was released in 1969 on Island Records, but the company wasn't quite behind the venture, and its release in the U.S. was delayed until 1971. Forehouse was still a little bitter about it, but the album went on to influence hip-hop, ambient, EDM, art pop, and more. Jack Dangerous thinks it was definitive. To me, it sort of nails the whole psychedelic sound of um, what was happening at the time but making it making it commercial at the same time the the, the tunes are pretty commercial even though it's a pretty weird album people would have been scratching their head at the time I don't think it's dated at all it's um, still ahead of its time David Vorhaus released four more albums under the name White Noise, all of which are much more conventionally electronic. When we talked to him in 1989, it was centered around his fourth White Noise recording, Inferno. The last one was Sound Mind in 2000. Vorhaus has spent most of the intervening years creating music for commercials and films, and I assume he's living under much better circumstances than when I spoke with him. He also invented some instruments, including his Kaleidophon controller and a sequencer called the Maniac, or Multiphasic Analog Interactive Chromatophonic Sequencer. Flashback 50, White Noises and Electric Storm, released in June of 1969. You can still get a hold of White Noises and Electric Storm. I'll have a link for you in the posting for this podcast. And now we go to another extreme with It's a Beautiful Day. This self-titled debut was released 50 years ago in June of 69, just like White Noise. Here's the second part of our double flashback 50.
It's a beautiful day. Seemed like they were late to the psychedelic fair. Although they formed in 1967, their debut album wasn't released until June of 1969, two years in the fading afterglow of The Summer of Love. The album was a minor hit, charting at 47 on Billboard and earning a gold record. Several songs from it were staples on FM radio, including Hot Summer Day, Girl With No Eyes, and the certified classic, White Bird. The group was headed up by David Laflamme, a certified orchestral violinist from the Utah Symphony Orchestra. He took the 60s pilgrimage to San Francisco, played with just about every notable artist there, and was in the original edition of Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks. He got together with his then-wife, keyboardist Linda Laflame and formed It's a Beautiful Day. Their lineup was distinct with the violin as the lead instrument. Unfortunately for them, their manager, the notorious Matthew Katz, who was dumped by both the Jefferson Airplane and Moby Grape, thought they should gain exposure in Seattle. That was an ill-advised move, but it meant that they gained time huddling down in the rain-soaked city to compose the music for their first album, the most impressive debut of the San Francisco scene. Just consider the debut albums of the Jefferson Airplane... and The Grateful Dead. Both of those bands and others were still transitioning out of their folk and blues roots when they debuted in 66 and 67 respectively. It's a Beautiful Day, on the other hand, came out with an album that was full-blown and mature. But blues and folk weren't the roots of It's a Beautiful Day anyway. They were looking to classical music, Middle Eastern music, and a touch of jazz for their sound. The Seattle Sojourn also gave them their signature song, White Bird, written while they lived in an attic apartment in Seattle where they felt trapped by weather and circumstances like caged birds. On the song that emerged, with its instantly recognizable pizzicato violin riff, this white bird did fly. It featured the twin vocals of David LaFlame and Patty Santos, Linda LaFlame's swirling keyboards, and some wild violin work by David LaFlame again a sound that really hadn't been much explored in rock music. 
album yielded several FM rock radio staples, among them Hot Summer Day. It's a Beautiful Day also explored world music. You can hear it in their often eastern scales and song structures, especially on the song Bombay Calling. This song was subsequently adapted, without credit, by Deep Purple for Child in Time. Here's the opening riff of It's a Beautiful Day's Bombay Calling. Purples, Child in Time. Guitar wasn't part of the original lineup, but by the time they recorded their debut, Hal Wagonette had brought it on full force from acoustic filigree to the psychedelic snarl on songs like Wasted Union Blues. To wonder if It's a Beautiful Day with their full-throated vocal sound and Eastern influences were an inspiration to Lorena McKennett when she moved into her Eastern phase. With a mix of acoustic guitars and strings on many tracks, you can hear the beginnings of Wyndham Hill Records and bands like the Paul Winter Consort, Oregon, and Shadowfax, who mix classical, folk, and world music elements. (music) 
Although it's a beautiful day, it was steeped in the psychedelic era. Their sound really was seminal progressive rock. Their classical and rock interplay, the mix of acoustic guitar and organ, laid the groundwork for groups like Yes and Genesis. You can hear that on their epic multi-part track, Time Is, with multiple movements, odd time signatures, and cosmic lyrics. Things never quite came together in a popular sense for It's a Beautiful Day. Their album came out late, they were denied a spot at Woodstock on the basis of a coin flip, and they were immersed in legal tangles with their ex-manager, Matthew Katz. Linda and David Laflame broke up acrimoniously, other members departed, and though they recorded three more studio albums up through 1973, they never attained the heights of that debut recording. on the wall with no eyes There's a girl in my room and her face on the wall with no eyes Girl with no eyes Who can she be? The girl with no eyes She's looking at me There's a girl in my room and her face on the wall with no eyes in 1969, critic Lester Bangs eviscerated the album in a Rolling Stone review, saying, I hate it not only because I wasted money on it, but for what it represents, an utterly phony, arty approach to music that we will not soon escape. And thankfully, we didn't escape as It's a Beautiful Day's debut continues to garner listeners on its own, with an influence still resonating 50 years later in a lot of the music you hear on Echoes. Released in June of 1969, this has been a flashback 52, It's a Beautiful Day. It's a Beautiful Day, ending up our double Flashback 50. Their album is currently out of print, although I have a link to some expensive ones for you on the website. There was a reissue of their first two albums together, but I think that's pretty hard to find as well. Next week on the Echoes Podcast, it's the best of Echoes 2019 so far as we select our 25 favorite albums at the halfway point of the year. I'm John DiLiberto. Thanks for dialing up the Echoes Podcast. See you next week, tonight, somewhere on the radio or online right now on Echoes. <laughs>